Welcome to this edition of DBSA's Real Recovery Podcast. For more information, visit us on our website, www.dbsalliance.org. We've been there. We can help. Today's DBSA Real Recovery Podcast features Ross Abel, the Director of Youth Outreach for the National Mental Health Awareness Campaign. In the last five years, he is the only person in the country who has spoken to over 500,000 young people in high schools and colleges about mental health issues. Ross is also the co-author of Behind Happy Faces, What Young Adults Need to Know About Mental Health. Welcome, Ross. We are so pleased to have you today as our guest. I would like to begin by addressing the source of inspiration for this book, Behind, Behind Happy Faces. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, first off. And... Uh yeah, you know, the biggest uh, inspiration for me was, you know, I had a lot of personal experience as a, at a young age. I actually visited my brother in a psychiatric ward at age 11. Uh, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and was taken out of college because of it. And then at age 16, I was diagnosed with uh, bipolar disorder myself. Um, at age 17, my diagnosis changed to bipolar disorder with anger control problems and psychotic features. And in my senior year of high school, I was hospitalized for wanting to take my own life. And then I went on to graduate from high school and chose to go to college. And two months in my freshman year at American University, I had a major relapse with bipolar disorder. And then it was a real big struggle to kind of find what was going to work best for me. And I was in and out of college for about four years. And then I returned to American University four years after I started. And that's when I was able to really get a hold on these issues and uh, this issue, basically, and, and really stabilize and start to find what works best for me. And I was able to go on and graduate from college with honors and a degree in psychology. But the biggest inspiration for writing the book was after I got out of the hospital for wanting to take my own life as a senior in high school, about two months when I, after I was out of the hospital, a psychologist came into my classroom to talk about patients he was treating. And as he talked about patients he was treating, every single student in the classroom started laughing. I wasn't laughing, I was really angry, and I grabbed my teacher and I took him out in the hallway and I said, you know, this isn't funny. And he said, what do you want to do about it? And I said, well, let me speak. You know, let me talk about what I've been through. He said he could speak, so, you know, two weeks later I stood up in that classroom and I spoke for the first time. And I continued to speak to classrooms until I was 22. And then when I was 22, I launched my own national movement to remove the stigma surrounding these issues. And then when I was 23, I was hired as the director of youth outreach for the National Mental Health Awareness Campaign. And as you said in the intro, over the past five years, I've spoken over half a million young people about these issues. And what I kept hearing every day was the same questions and concerns. And so it was kind of a no-brainer for me to write this book and take uh, the most common questions and concerns from over half a million young people and put it into a book. So, you know, I think it makes it really relatable and I think it makes it really understandable and approachable because it's not me telling people what they want to know. A lot of people have told me what they want to know and what they want to hear and what they want to learn more about, and I'm just putting it out there. So it's really a book that in some ways young people have written by just telling me, all their major concerns and questions. Great, and uh, the book is written from the perspective of teens and young adults. Um, what was your main goal for writing to this age group? Well, the biggest thing I wanted young people to know was that they're not alone. You know, one of the biggest issues I heard as I constantly traveled is people thinking that they're the only ones going through it, 
well, what if you're not some white kid who grew up in a middle class family, right, and w grew up in rural Pennsylvania? So I wanted to use my story, but also I think we use about 20 other people's personal stories to relate to different races, to different cultures, to different genders, and get people to see that it's not just one way or the other. And uh, the biggest thing, though, outside of letting them know that they're not alone, was I wanted them to know that they can talk about these things and that these things are things they can get through. Because I think so many times when you're suffering, when you don't see a way out, when you don't see a light, and you turn on the news... The only people you see with these issues are people like at Virginia Tech or your celebrities breaking down. You don't see positive examples. So I thought it was really important for this book to provide that positive example that so many people need. Great. And Ross, from your um, personal experience and from visiting um, with these other young adults with mental um, health issues, what do you find are the main reasons people don't seek help? Well, it's interesting. You know, at the beginning of every presentation I give, I ask audiences, you know, why don't we talk about these things? And the most common answers I got are definitely in the book. You know, the first one is that it's a sign of weakness. People think that it's a sign of weakness to talk about whatever you're going through. And inside of weakness, you know, there's embarrassment and shame and fear. Uh, the next biggest one, I think, is people are afraid of being labeled, you know, being labeled crazy or weird or psycho or wackos or things like that. And uh, that can often lead to judgment or people being outcasted because they sought help. So, you know, I definitely, uh, I definitely think that's an important one to work on. The other one is a burden. It's really interesting, you know, so many young people that I think are dealing with so many things that they say, oh, it's not that big of a deal, I'll get through it, I'll brush it off, or they have the flip mentality, which is, I don't want to burden anyone, you know, I don't want to put this on my friends or my family, I don't want to put this on anybody who loves me, um, you know, another reason is, they, a lot of people say they don't have anyone they can trust, they say if they tell someone, they're going to tell someone else, now everyone knows their business, uh, but a lot of times that can be protectionary too, where they really don't want to talk about it, so they say there's no one they can trust, um, even though they may have a lot of people in their life that they can trust. Another big one is that they can't find the words. You know, it's really frustrating when someone constantly asks you how you feel, and you don't even know how to be de begin to describe how you feel. And I find that a lot with these issues where we ask people constantly, you know, how do you feel, how do you feel? And because they've never used emotional words before, they don't even know how to begin to describe these issues. And then the last one is a little bit more complicated, and it actually has to deal with uh, self-hatred. Sometimes when you're diagnosed with bipolar disorder or depression or anything, it's out of your control, and you're behaving in a way that you can't control and stop, and a lot of people start to feel badly about that. And they may actually start to hate themselves. And if someone hates themselves, it doesn't matter so much what you say or tell them. They don't care enough about themselves to want to try and deal with these issues or even start to seek help. So those are the biggest issues I hear. Great. That's extremely helpful um, for our listeners. Thank you. Why does it seem uh, a lot of young people really struggle to stay on course with their treatment? It's a really good question, and, you know, I think it's important to also note that it's not just young people. You know, people of all ages struggle to stay on course with whatever their health issue is. Uh, you know, you always find uh, adults who may take their blood pressure pills but still smoke and drink alcohol and don't exercise. And, you know, I think being on course with your treatment is a struggle for everybody. But I think one of the biggest reasons young people struggle with it is because they don't address all the reasons we just named 
help. So, you know, in my case, what happened to me was, okay, you know, I was completely out of control uh, when I was 16, drinking to the point of passing out, mind racing thoughts, all these other things. I go to a doctor and the doctor says, okay, you have bipolar disorder. Now I want you to put you on medication. Now I want you to talk about how you feel. But no one ever really made it okay for me to seek help or made it okay for me to talk about how I feel. So I was uncomfortable with treatment from the very beginning. And I think it's really important for people of all ages to address the reasons they may not be comfortable seeking help or comfortable dealing with the treatment before they enter it or while they enter it, or they're not going to want to stay in course. They're not going to want to do the things that people are asking them to do because they're not dealing with the issues that block them from it. And I think it's shocking when you are so young and someone comes to you and says, well, this is your issue and this is what you need to do about it when you necessarily haven't worked on the weakness factor or the self-hatred factor or the trust factors that came well before it. Sure. And um, do you have any tips for you know young adults when they're dealing with mental health issues? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the, the biggest things, you know, that I tried to stress in the book are, you know, I think things really changed for me. Uh, you know, you always hear people walk around and say things like, I'm ADD or I'm ADHD or I'm bipolar. You know, I think things really changed for me when I started to understand that I'm Ross. I have bipolar disorder. You know, a lot of times, because these words describe people, I think we fall into this mindset of thinking, okay, well, I'm bipolar and this is all I'm capable of. And I really need to understand that I have a disorder that I'm capable of managing and treating that doesn't define me. I think it's really important to keep that in mind as you move forward. Um, obviously, it's also important to understand that, you know, when you are diagnosed, it's only a starting point. I think a lot of times people search so hard for a diagnosis that they think, oh, well, once I get the right diagnosis, it's over. And really, it's just the beginning. And it's something you have to work on. And, and you may have to monitor for the rest of your life. You know, I think it's also important to educate yourself about your medication if you're on it. Um, and if you don't think your medication is working, to be open and honest and tell your, your mental health professional about it because so many times people don't like what's happening to them, but they don't talk about it. They won't tell anyone. And they'll just say they hate it, and they'll, they'll take it out on themselves. And it's really important to be honest. I think it's also important to learn about whatever, uh, you know, mental health issue or disorder you're diagnosed with. You know, when people are diagnosed with cancer and they're told they have six months to live, they don't just walk out of the office and say, okay, well, that's it. They try to learn about as much as they can so that they're better educated on the issue and know what they can and cannot do. We don't do that with mental health issues, and I think it's really important to do that. I also think it's important to not only work on the treatment that doctors give you, but also change your lifestyle outside of it. I can't tell you how many young people I talk to that are on medication, but also drink or do drugs or cut themselves or don't talk about how they feel and blame the treatment for not working. And you can't really just take uh, whatever treatment is given to you and not make the efforts outside of it and expect it to work completely. I think it's also important to develop friendships and trust with people outside of your issue, outside of your uh, psychologist or psychiatrist, because a lot of times if you're only talking about how you feel with your professionals, it's hard to feel 
I don't know, somewhat comfortable or normal outside of that office. So I think that's really important. And the last one is to make, to have maintenance, to understand that uh, whatever issue you're dealing with, it can come and go the rest of your life, but you need to maintain who you are and deal with what you're going through to better understand it, to better address it, and, and take care of it. Great, and those are excellent tips um, for all of our listeners. Now, you, we mentioned earlier that you travel throughout the whole country talking to young in hi, people in high school and colleges. What have you seen as you've traveled around the country and spoken to so many people about these issues? I think the, the most upsetting thing I've seen is how much of a lack of education there really are on these issues. You know, what I think is sad is when, even if I bring up the word mental health, people immediately think of the most extreme situations. They think of, you know, even horror movies or celebrity breakdowns or uh, tragic events like Virginia Tech, Columbine, things like that. And what's interesting is that mental health is something everybody should have. It's not just dealing with mental disorders, it's dealing with death, divorce, breakups, lack of sleep, anything. So it's been alarming to see how much of a lack of education we have just on the words mental health. Beyond that, you know, I do see a lot of young people struggling with, with a lot of different things, whether it is just stress or pressure, or it is more severe mental disorders, things like that. I do see a lot of young people trying to find an answer, trying to find what works best. But on the positive side, I also see recently, especially, a lot of young people who are doing well, but they're still not talking about it. You know, there's so many people who, after I speak, will leave a presentation with their group of friends and then come back into me and say, hey, uh, you know, I was actually diagnosed with bipolar disorder a couple years ago and I was hospitalized, but I'm okay. And I think it's those people who need to speak out more because of the lack of positive examples on this issue and because of the lack of realness that we have on this issue. Again, you know, the poster children for these issues are like the 1% of people who do extreme things and not the people who are suffering with it every day. And I think, you know, that's been encouraging to hear how many young people come up to me after a presentation and say they're okay. I think we need to hear more from them. That is very encouraging that they're seeking help and, you know, they are... I'm going to start that one over. Very encouraging. It's very encouraging that they're seeking help and willing to help others. But what would you say is the most important thing someone should keep in mind when they do seek help? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I'll start this one over. It was bound to happen. <laughs> I know. What is the most important thing you someone should keep in mind when they do seek help? Uh, yeah, I think the most important thing for people to keep in mind when they seek help is, you know, I can't stress it enough, think about the reasons why you may not be comfortable doing it. You know, I know it sounds like we're being a little bit repetitive, repetitive in these issues, but, you know, I can't stress enough that if you feel weak, if you feel embarrassed, ashamed, if you feel scared, if you feel like you don't have the words, if you feel like you can't trust anyone, if you feel like you hate yourself, you really need to work on those things first. So that when you do talk about your issues, when you do seek help, you're going to care more and you're going to try to play a part in it because no one really ever stresses this issue to people. You know, every time I sought help, it was always, well, how do you feel? Or what is this medication doing to you? Or what is this treatment doing to you? And no one ever said, how do you feel about having these issues? Like, how do you feel about going through 
so scary to, to a lot of people, I think it's really, really important to want to accept whatever you're about to do and to work on the issues that are blocking you from accepting it. Great. Now, in your book, Ross, you talk about your relationship with your brothers, and in the past few years, it's been very important in your recovery journey. Um, could you give us a, talk a little bit more about how these type of relationships, it might not be siblings with everyone, but how a relationship with someone like this can really, you know, progress your recovery? Yeah, I mean, I'll start with my brothers. You know, uh, <laughs> my book does stress that uh, the relationships I have with them now are great and that they definitely weren't in the beginning. You know, my oldest brother left the family when I was 16 and uh, didn't talk to anyone in my family for seven years. My middle brother and I didn't get along. He's two years older than me. My oldest brother's seven years older than me. We didn't get along on any level in high school. You know, there was constant, uh, you know, brotherly type things with uh, uh, verbal abuse and, you know, just kind of, really not knowing what's going on. Uh, my middle brother saw, visited both his oldest brother and youngest brother in a psychiatric ward. And I think that was really hard on him. And I think a lot of times when you're guys in general, you don't have the best words to describe these things. And uh, it led to a lot of confrontation between me and my middle brother. And then I didn't even have my oldest brother to talk to. And when my oldest brother left the family when I was 16, it really did damage our family in a lot of ways. You know, me and my middle brother, I think, blamed my parents to a large degree, and my middle brother and I still didn't get along because of it. And it took a little while, but uh, my middle brother and I were able to become friends. I moved in with him, I think, when I was about 20 or 21. And we became really good friends, and we became really close, and we talked about all the issues and, and tried to maintain our friendship so that at least we had each other. And then when I was 23, I was able to find my oldest brother and uh, bring him back into the family. And now, you know, all three of us are really close, and, and we talk a, a lot about not only what happened to us, but also, uh, obviously, everything that's going on in our lives now, and we're all fortunate enough to be doing well. But I think it really helps if people are able to repair those family relationships in their lives with their siblings, because I think, you know, siblings have a, a knowledge about you that most people don't, and that most people have to know you for a while to get. So I think it really helped me to reconnect with my brothers. Um, it also, though, helps me to have friendships and relationships that are healthy as well. One of the scary things about these issues is that a lot of times when people with these issues are suffering, they end up finding other people who are suffering, and they kind of suffer together rather than build themselves up and learn and become healthy because of these issues. And I think that, you know, relationships, not only with your family, but friendships and relationships can be such a positive influence on your life and can help you see that you are more than just a disorder, that you are more than just these issues, and help you work on things like self-hatred and all those other issues that may come out of having these problems. And I think it's really important for people to develop relationships that are positive and, and can help them have strength when maybe they don't have strength on their own. Great. And what are two or three key messages that you would like readers to take away from your book, Behind, Behind Happy Faces? Well, I think the, the three biggest things I'd want people to take away from the book are, one, that it is okay to talk about these issues that it is okay to seek help and, you know, that it is okay 
and there are a lot of positive examples out there. You know, the statistic is 80 to 90 percent of people with even severe mental health issues who seek help go back to function the way they used to. We just don't often hear about them. And these things are treatable. You don't need to be afraid anymore. And lastly, don't be afraid to embrace your individuality. I think so many times people stress to you, you need to fit in, you need to be normal, you need to be like everybody else. And a lot of times when that happens, you lose yourself in it. So there's so many young people today out there afraid of what they think, afraid of what they feel because they're afraid it's not like everyone else. The only thing normal about everyone in the world is that we have differences. And when it comes to emotion and thought, we have a lot of differences. So don't be afraid to embrace what makes you the individual you are and move forward with it. Well, thank you, Ross, so much for your time today and for your ongoing work. You can find Ross's book at www.dbsalliance.org slash bookstore. This has been a DBSA Real Recovery Podcast. This has been a production of the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. For more information, go to www.dbsalliance.org or call one 800 826 3632. We've been there. We can help.